love you. We're happy to be here in the Lord's house, and um, to, today we're going to continue in a series that we call Christmas 2021, Whatever It Takes. Whatever it takes is what we, kind of church that I want our church to be. What about you? Are you a whatever it takes kind of person? See, whatever it takes kind of persons are not persons that are passive. Passive people don't get anything done. There are three types of people in the world. There are people that make things happen. There are people who watch things happen. And there are people that go, what happened? Okay? So you're in there somewhere, all right? And what we want to have is a church that is focused on making things happen. Now, somebody, a theologian will say, now, Pastor Brian, you know, we can't make anybody do anything, and we can't do God's work. No, that's true. But when the church gets activated and we do what God's given us to do, then God works. And I like being where God works. I've liked seeing people come the last couple of weeks and just confess Christ as their Savior. I like seeing that. That fills me with joy. How about you? When to see someone's life changed. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe that's you today. We're going to talk to you about the results of whatever it takes. You see, if you have a whatever it takes type of attitude, then you will see results in your life. And I'm going to paint the results today to show you this, that when we have a whatever it takes attitude, then we see joy shared with people as well as coming back to us. I've been in the ministry a long time. I've been through times where things were great, times where things were difficult. But I can tell you the best times of my life, and I think my wife would say the same, is whenever we have been involved in things where God was working. You see, when Christians put their hands to something and begin to work at something and commit to it to the place where they say, whatever it takes, they see God's hand work, and we get to experience the joy of seeing God work in someone else's life. That's the best time. You show me somebody who has uh, shared the gospel with a person and they become a Christian, I'll show you a happy person. I'll show you a joyful person. I'll show you this. Every July, I take anywhere from 10 to 15 people to Mexico with me on a mission trip. And we live for seven days without sleep. Most of the time, we miss our planes or our trains or our automobiles. We don't sleep very much. It's July in the desert in Mexico. It's warm. It's very warm. They don't have air conditioning in their church. And we're at the church all the time. And we spend hours and hours working. But we have the most joy that anyone can experience. You know why? Because we're right there hands-on seeing God work. I've done missions for a long time, since 1999. I started, I went to India that year. The next year I went to the Philippines. I spent about 10 years going back and forth to the Philippines. And just working. And, and have you ever been on an airplane for 12 hours? That's a lot of fun. See, we're not looking for situations and circumstances to be favorable. We're looking for a chance to put our hands to something and work in the name of Jesus. 
And when you do that, there's joy. Seeing people's lives change is joy. And it's why we do what we do. It's why Life Church is here. It's why we're here on, on Sunday morning. It's why now we're going to collect items to send to Mayfield out of the joy of being the hands and feet of Jesus and helping somebody. So my purpose is twofold today. Number one, I want to activate our church to have this whatever-it-takes attitude. And the second thing is, maybe today you need to be ministered to. Maybe you don't have the inward joy of the Lord because you've never really taken a drink from his water. So we're going to give you a story out of John chapter 4. We've got some great things to share with you. And then at the end, you're really going to like the end because we're going to sing to you about this. But we're talking to you today about results. Ladies and gentlemen, results are what Jesus is after. Does anybody remember Jesus talking in Matthew 25 about the judge is going to sit, the Son of Man is going to sit on his throne, he's going to have some on one side and some on the other, and he's going to judge these people according to their works. A lot of people in churches believe I'm going to be judged on my belief. In other words, as long as I've got the right faith, you know, I'm going to be judged according to my faith. Well, the Bible says we're going to be judged according to our works. Ladies and gentlemen, our works do not save us, but good works are a sign that we do have proper faith because listen to what James says, faith without works is dead. So if you say, I have faith but no works, and guess what? According to the Bible, your faith is not non-existent. Dead means non-existent. So... Jesus, in this story in Matthew 25, he looks at some on one side and some on the other, and he begins to judge them according to the works. And you know what he says? He says, I was hungry, and, I came, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick, and you came to me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And so the point that Jesus was making was that these people were people who were people of action. And they had results. And ladies and gentlemen, this is who we are. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And Jesus is looking for us to be the hands and feet and not just to observe what's happening, but to be actively involved in what's happening. I read an illustration by a guy named M. Lund, and I don't know his first name, but it was so striking, I have to read it to you. He wrote this. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club, and you discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar to pray for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not the calling of God for us to be that passive person and just look at someone and say, good luck out there. And, and couch ourselves in religiosity that says, okay, I'll pray for you. You know how it is on social media. Somebody says, I need help. We write the word prayers. But I wonder how many actual people at that moment stop what they're doing and actually pray. And I will say this as well. When we actually pray and actually care, God just may well tell us something to do about that. Therefore, we're going to be active. Ladies and gentlemen, 
We're ready to do whatever it takes. And we're going to take this attitude into the new year. And to show you how Jesus was a person who did whatever it takes, we read to you from John chapter 4. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, this is Jesus, speaking of Jesus, said he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This is a great story. If you've never read the story in John 4, take a look at it. It's several more verses, but this is where I wanted to stop today. I want to give you the story, but I wanted you to see what Jesus is doing in his personal life and ministry. Jesus was exhibiting a whatever-it-takes type of attitude. And you see, he saw the problem way before he encountered the person. Jesus sees the problems in our life way before the encounter happens. He is God Almighty. He is omniscient. He knows beforehand who he will encounter at any moment. Ladies and gentlemen, you did not accidentally come into this place today. God sent you here. And it's going to be whether or not you are going to receive what he says as to whether or not you're going to go away different today. God already knew it. And in this story, I'm going to focus on a couple of things. I'm going to focus on a woman in this story who had a great problem. And I want to focus on what Jesus did and then finally show you that Jesus was a whatever-it-takes person. He not just was, but he still is. Do we all agree that he's alive this morning? He's alive. He's still active. And he is working even in this room today. I will say to you that I personally believe that God Almighty is stirring things in our church. And I believe that when you come into the fellowship of the church, you're going to be encountered with God's spirit. And God is here seeing your need before you may even know that it exists. That's the case with this woman. This woman had a huge problem. She had a huge problem, and she knew most of it, but there were some parts of the problem she didn't understand. And most of you here today, as Bernie was talking about 3D Life Recovery this afternoon at 5 o'clock, it's a ministry specifically designed for people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And this woman was coming there, and she knew she had some problems, but she didn't know the extent of the problem. And that might be you today. You might be that person today. You might identify yourself with this woman today. And you might feel like you might be that woman today. You might be the person here today that's walking in and, and you're saying, I am so empty, I am so alone, I am so discouraged, and I have just completely lost hope with life. I want you to know Jesus knew that before you ever got up this morning. And the good news about Jesus is he cares about you. And he did not just put us in the world to just let us make the best of it. He is coming today to offer solutions to you 
for the problems that you have. This woman had a big problem. Three things about this woman. She was a solo person. She was alone. She was solitary. She's coming out, according to the Bible, at the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour is not six in the morning. The sixth hour is noon. Noon is not the time people came to the well. Because noon is the heat of the day. This woman is coming out by herself in the heat of the day. She's all by herself. Now, I wonder why that is. Can I just preach about that for a moment? I want you to know that the devil's design for your life is to get you completely solo in your life, completely alone, completely isolated. Satan would love to trap you to trick you, to enslave you, and to make you think that you're so pathetic that nobody in the world cares anything about you and put you out there completely by yourself. Sin comes in and offers fellowship to you, but I want you to know sin never provides anything good for you. No one's life is enhanced by sin. Sin and the devil is here to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's all there is to it. And this woman was the recipient of what Satan had done to her. And she was by herself. Ladies and gentlemen, as far as we know, she didn't have any family. No one was there with her. She didn't have any friends. She didn't have any fellowship, no faith. When Jesus begins to talk with her, she knew some things about the scriptures, but she didn't know very much. Jesus began to talk to her about it, and she said, well, you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we, we worship here. And she knew a few things, and she knew that one day Messiah was going to come, but the faith that she had did not affect her daily living. Let me ask you today, is the faith that you have living and breathing and providing sustenance to you right now? Or is it just a afterthought? Something that you hold a little bit. Yeah, I know a little bit about this. I know a little bit about Jesus. I, I, I've heard a few stories, but is it something that changes everything about how you do things? You know what I've tried to learn to do? This is a little bit off subject, but I'll say it anyway. I've tried to learn to be God conscious. What does it mean to be God conscious? It means when you get up in the morning, God is there. It means when you start your day, God is there. When you have thoughts that you shouldn't have, God is there. Remember the old thing, WWJD? Anybody remember that? Is there anybody that doesn't know what that is? Back in, what was it, the 90s? Everybody was talking about what would Jesus do? That's being God conscious. You're in a situation you think about God being there with you because he is. And you see, if you have that living faith that God is in you, the God in you will give you the ability not to do what you ought not and give you the power to do what you should do. And you'll find yourself living in victory that way. This woman had none of that. She had no faith. She had no fellowship. Fellowship is the thing that gives us the ability to deal with life. 
By definition, it's this. Fellowship is partnership and participation that empowers us to meet the demands of reality. Let me ask you this. Have you ever just felt so bad and alone and you didn't know if you could go another day? But then somebody contacts you, somebody gets in your corner, or maybe you've had enough foresight to get a mentor in your life, and you reach out to somebody, and all of a sudden, just having somebody there changes everything. It's true, isn't it? You know what I've learned about grieving? When you grieve, when someone is grieving, let me say it that way, when someone is grieving, most of us think, I need to say something, but the truth is, all you got to do is be there. Because when someone's suffering, you can't really take the pain away. But just being there gives you the ability to deal with the demands of reality. This woman didn't have that. You say, how can you prove that she didn't have anything? Well, the first thing that I can prove it about is that she was out there at, at noon. When everyone else goes out at 6 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning, she wasn't with them. She went out when no one else was there. Why would that be? You see, when, when you feel what she felt, and I'll show you that in a few moments, it will cause you to stay away from others. She didn't want to be around anybody. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like, you know what, I don't even want to go to church because I feel like I'll be exposed there? See, people that deal with what she was dealing with, they hide. And she didn't want to be around anybody. And I know that I've been that way in my life. Maybe you have too. Not only was she so solo, but she had sorrow. When she walked, her head was down. You ever been there? I got a few scriptures about sorrow that I want to mention to you because maybe you're filled with sorrow this morning. Understand something, that the Lord Jesus knows what it's like to feel sorrow. Isaiah 53, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So God is not a God that's sitting up there looking down at us saying, I don't get it. Jesus Christ himself walked with sorrow. And this woman was living in it. And the one who was going to one day on the cross take all of our sorrows, according to Isaiah in the Old Testament, he grief, our griefs he himself bore. And this one who is going to do that is now coming to the well to interact with this woman who is solo and sorrowful. And she's living in the third S, which is shame. She's living with shame. Y'all know what shame is? There's a difference in shame and guilt, a big difference in shame and guilt. Guilt, by definition, is what I have done. You ever been guilty of anything? You know, you're driving along, and all of a sudden, there's something in the rearview mirror that says you're guilty of something. You ever been there? Too many times, right? Or you go to court and the, the gavel comes down, guilty. Guilt is something that all of us have experienced because the law is pretty heavy, right? I'm talking about God's moral law. The Ten Commandments. We've all been guilty of that. But see, guilt has to do with behavior. And when God deals with us, he deals with us according to our guilt. Understand something. This is not guilt trip. 
This is God saying this is wrong. And when we agree with God, you're right, God, that is wrong. I agree with you. Then God forgives you of your sin. That's the way it works. But shame is something different. Shame has to do with who I am. Shame is when guilt becomes intensely personal. Guilt is like I have done bad things. Shame is I am just a bad person. Shame has to do with your value. The definition of shame is the inability to fully live as God intends because of the distortion of the image of God. You remember when God created, God created Adam, God created Adam, and out of Adam, he, he made Eve. And I mean, think about that creation. Think about God just grabbing a bunch of dirt. He grabs dirt. He breathes into it. Guess what? Living soul. And when it was over, you know what God said about the creation? It's very good. Shame is a distortion of the very good that God pronounces. You see, when we walk around with this thing that says, I am just bad. It's not that I've done bad things. It's just me as a person. In other words, it's like, I will never ever have it right because there's something terribly wrong with me to the point that my value is a negative five on a scale of zero to ten and this woman lived that way she lived with shame it's God or it's the devil's design to get all of us in this room and everybody in humanity to believe that because of our guilt we have now become a person that is not valued at all by God. That is so totally wrong. Because Jesus began his preaching by saying this. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know what he was talking about? He's talking about blessed are those people who are spiritually bankrupt. Those are the people I've come for. I mean when you think of what Jesus did. Who did he hang out with? He hung out with folks like me and you. He didn't hang out with the elites. He said the, the well don't need a doctor, the sick does. You know why? Because he values people. There might be somebody in this room that says, I have failed so much that God could never love me again. That is from the devil. It's from hell, and it smells like smoke. God says we're created in his image and we are valuable to him. Yes, we have done wrong. Yes, in the sight of God, our works are as filthy rags. But we're not filthy rags. We are people with whom he has placed his love and his attention to. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said he must go through Samaria. Why? Why must he go through Samaria? Because there was a woman who was solo and sorrowful and shameful. And Jesus is like, I'm going to her. And here today, whatever you have done does not count towards your value. All you've got to do is repent of your sins and your behavior and come to God. And he will stamp a 10 on your head. Because God Almighty loves you. The problem is today, Satan tempts us into sin. We get guilty with sin and then we become shameful. And can I say this to you, parents and grandparents, don't ever look at your children and say, shame on you. 
They may be guilty, but we don't want them living that way. When you live with shame, you're hiding. You're damaged, confused, empty, social outcast. We might use the common terminology today, canceled. This woman was canceled. She had a broken spirit. Proverbs 18, 14 says, as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? When people believe the lie that there's no hope for them, they have a broken spirit. So here we have the woman with a problem. She's by herself. She's filled with shame. Let's see what Jesus did. You see, this story gets good now. And that's the thing about the gospel. The gospel starts with the bad news, but it connects to the good news. First thing that Jesus did, he saw the need. He saw the need. When Jesus saw this woman, he saw first her need before he saw her problems. And see, that's the story of the gospel here for you today. You may have all types of behavioral problems, sin habits, things that you don't think you can ever get control of. But I want you to know the very first thing that Jesus sees today is your need. Why is there a church here this morning? Because people need. People need the Lord. People need to be healed. People need to be converted. And Jesus sees your need and my need first. He saw the need. Second, he went the extra mile. Jesus went the extra mile. He went through Samaria. You may not realize this, but the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other. You talk about racism. It was extreme. Samaria was a province, I guess for the lack of a better term, a province in Israel. And Jewish people, instead of walking through Samaria to get to the north, they would walk and travel around because they hated the Samaritans so much. So here's this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi. He says, I'm just going to go straight in. He went the extra mile. He did something that would not have been done before. You know what? He did whatever it takes. You know what else he did? He broke tradition. Do you have any idea what the tradition was of those days? First of all, women were considered Little more than property in many cases in those days. That doesn't mean it was right, but that's the way it was. And do you know that Jewish men and particularly rabbis did not talk to women at all? And then Jewish people did not talk to Samaritans at all. So guess what? Jesus broke all of them. Sometimes people tell me, well, you Christians, you take the value of women and you put it down. I'm like, the contrary is true. Jesus Christ elevated the value of women to be equal with those of men. Jesus did that. And according to the New Testament in the body of Christ, that's just the way it is. We're just all equal there. We have different responsibilities, but we're equal in value. And Jesus elevated the status of women. And Jesus went the extra mile. He broke, connect, he broke traditions. He connected with her. How did he connect with her? He said, give me a drink. Can you imagine that? A Jewish rabbi asking a Samaritan woman who had a very bad reputation, by the way. And he asked the, the Samaritan woman for a drink. He connected right with her. And if we're going to be people... 
that do whatever it takes. We have to connect with people. We just simply cannot sit here and say, I will pray for you or write little nice little prayers on social media and think that that does any good. Jesus connected with her and he offered himself to her. He offered himself to her. Gave himself to her. He said to her, give me a drink. She said, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus looked at her and he said this, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. So then the conversation gets started. Sir, the well is deep. You have nothing to draw from. Jesus said, if you will take what I can give you, you will have a living well on the inside and it'll never stop. So she's talking back and forth. So then all the religious conversation happens. Well, our father said, worship here. You Jews say here. Finally, one day or in one moment, Jesus reveals to her who he is. And she says, sir, give me this water. Give me this water. That's what I'm saying today. Guys, come to the well. Come to the well of living water. All you got to do is come to Jesus and say, give me this water. But here's the, here's the thing. Jesus turned back to her and said, go call your husband. Now, why would he do that? Is it necessary to have a husband to get a drink of living water? No. The point is, Jesus was going to deal with her guilt problems. She said, sir, I don't have a problem. He said, you're right. You don't have. And you have five. You have had five. The one you've got now is not your husband. Now we see why she was all by herself. Now somebody would say, oh, she was a very immoral woman. Maybe. But maybe also she was a victim of the religious system of that day that said men could divorce their wives for any reason. Maybe she just had that thrust on her. Who knows? Listen, just because somebody says something bad about you doesn't make it so. Is that true? Just because somebody brings a charge against you doesn't make it so. But you know what? People can believe that. Maybe she did do wrong. We don't know. But Jesus is like, you're going to have to deal with this issue. And she confessed that. And when she did, Jesus forgave her, gave her the water. She left her water pot. She went back into the city. You know why? Because her life was changed. Because she came to the well empty, she came to the well alone, she came to the well looking for one thing, but she got the real thing. You see, that's what Jesus will do for you today. You might have come in here expecting, well, maybe something nice to happen, but I want you to know today that Jesus knows what your need is. He knows where your situation is. He knows whether or not you've sinned in the way that people say about it or whether or not it's been uh, pinned on you. He knows whether or not you're alone. He knows whether or not you're shameful. He knows whether or not you're guilty. He knows what you've done, but he's come here anyway to offer you himself a drink of living water. But you've got to say it. Somebody says, give me a drink. Jesus is going to say, what are you going to do about your sin? You can't have it both ways. Too many people want to hang on to their behavioral problems and have Jesus at the same time, and you just can't do it. We call that repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus brought results. Jesus brought results. There was change that happened to this woman. This woman walked away with joy. This woman practically changed Samaria. Did you know that? A woman evangelist changed Samaria. She went around telling everybody, come see this man. He told me everything that I've ever done. He's told me everything that's going on. Come see this man. Is this not the Christ, the Messiah? 
See, I love that. I love that when somebody actually gets a drink of water because they don't walk out saying, oh, well, that was kind of good today. No, they walk out going, oh, wow, something really happened inside of me. Y'all remember that happening to you? That ever happened to anybody in this room? The power of Jesus Christ giving the living water to your life changes your life. And you're ready to go everywhere and talk to people about the Lord and tell them what he's done for you. See, we'll never have revival in our community until people drink the water and those that have had a drink remember what it's like and go out and tell people what it's like. Let me ask you, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you called somebody up and said, you know what, meet me at church, I'll take you to lunch afterwards. You, you can do that with me anytime. It's always a yes. Lunch or coffee, two things, hands down, always done. That's in the Bible somewhere. I'm just not sure where. But you know, when we've got the joy of the Lord, we don't have to beg people to do things. One of the best things we did last year, when it, when it got 20 below zero or something like that, I don't know how, how cold it was. I don't remember what month it was. But we saw this Arctic thing coming to our area. And I don't remember exactly how we decided it, but we just did. We said, you know what? We're going to open the gym. We've got heaters in there. Somebody wants to get warm, we'll open it up. And so we decided to do that. I think we did it in about 10 days. It, it, until the weather got above freezing again, we did that. I went first. I stayed there the first night. Nobody was there. And I slept on an army cot. Well, let's rephrase that. I didn't sleep. But you know, if I think we're going to do something, I think I'm going to be the first one in line. I'm going to do it. And the first night we did it, nobody showed up. Satan says, don't you look like a fool? I don't know. All I know is I felt like God told me to do that. So we did that. Next afternoon, somebody calls the phone, says you still on the phone here, and says you still have that open. I said, "Yep, yeah, it's still open." And this guy says, "I think I need it tonight." And so he shows up on his bicycle at 20 below zero in the snow and everything else. And before it was all over, a good dozen people, 15 people, had stayed with us through that time. And we stayed up late at night making sure that things were working. We got up early in the morning to cook food and have it out there. And we did the extra mile. But I want to tell you, we were tired. We were worn out. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because there is joy when you're doing whatever it takes. And just to make the end of the story, the first guy that walked in there is sitting right there. There he is. I'm not trying to point him out, but he says this himself. He's thankful to God that we had that ministry. Amen. I'm, not, I'm just saying I thank God he sent you here. Because if he hadn't showed up the next night, we might not have done it again. There's joy in this thing, guys. Man, this is the way to live. Find how God created you and get involved. Let me just say this. If we have an Arctic front come in this January, February, you can count on it. We'll be doing it again. And if you want to get you some joy, give me a call. I've got a cot with your name on it. <laughs> Amen? Man, we had a great time. You say, well, did everybody stay at the church? No. 
That's God's business, not mine. It's our business to love people. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not, it's, it, it's not that difficult to love people. If you have the love of God in you, you can love people. If you can't love people, maybe you don't have the love of God in you. Let me give you three thought, thoughts quickly, and then we'll be done. Jesus does whatever it takes for three reasons. First, because he is life. Jesus does whatever it takes because he is life. You see, life begets life. Life begets life. Jesus is life when he sees people who are spiritually dead and living dead and living in shame. Jesus imparts life to these people. He does whatever it takes because he is life, because he loves you see, Jesus created you. You might not believe this. You might not even think this, but I want you to know Jesus created you. Jesus knows what you've done, but that has not affected his love for you in any way. In fact, all it did was what you've done motivated him who is life and is love to give himself for you so that you wouldn't have to live that way anymore. Jesus does whatever it takes because he is life, he is love, and because of his joy. Because of his joy. For the joy of the Lord, he does that. I just described to you what it's like to see a need and doing something for the joy of the ministry of doing it. This is why Jesus did it. Jesus did it because of his joy. Jesus wants you in his family. You ever been around where somebody's given birth? I just found out my, um, my second son is awaiting his fourth child. Now he's going to have three boys. His life is going to get interesting, amen? But you know what Robin and I are thinking? Praise God, there's another child being born. You ever been there, you know? Hey, Grandpa, do you remember where it was, what it was like, Jerry? I don't know. You know... They're, they're in the labor room or whatever. We're pacing back and forth. We're waiting when the baby's born. Everybody's excited, takes pictures and all this joy. There's joy in a new birth. Ladies and gentlemen, when we're involved in the ministry of Jesus Christ, there is joy. There is joy because people come to Jesus. Jesus is looking to expand his family. Jesus is looking at folks here today and saying, come and get a drink. Come to the well and get a drink. The Bible says in, in John 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. There's joy in that, ladies and gentlemen. In John 7, 37, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The Old Testament says the same thing in Isaiah 55. It says, everyone who thirsts comes to the waters. Come to the waters and drink. All you got to do today is come and drink. Isaiah 55, 2, why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen careful to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Revelation 22 ends the story of the Bible. Look what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says. Look at the scripture. Look at the board. The spirit and the bride say, come, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Ladies and gentlemen, all you got to do is say, give me a drink. Jesus Christ will satisfy you today. 
If you drink of the water that he gives, you'll never thirst again. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is whatever it takes because whatever it takes produces the joy of the Lord.